The Iliad and the Odyssey, Plato's Republic, The Epic of Gilgamesh, Hammurabi's Code, Confucius, the Bible. There is much agreement concerning the nature of all of these writings. They are ancient, they are well written, they are valuable, and they have shaped history. Some would prefer to keep this list intact, and they are happy to view them all as peers and common amongst themselves. These are ancient writings that readers would do well to spend time in. Others would prefer to separate one of these writings into its own category, a category that no other writing in the history of mankind belongs in. This writing is the Bible, a collection of writing written over thousands of years and by many different authors. This is the ancient writing that some would argue ought to be placed into a category on its own. They say that what marks this writing out from amongst the rest is that behind the many authors, there is one author. God himself, they believed, has inspired these writings and in doing so has elevated them above the common. These are supernatural writings. But what is the Bible? How is it collected? What sorts of writings does it contain? Does it really deserve to be elevated above the other ancient writings we have? Was it really authored by God? We discuss all this and more today on The Exchange. I'm Alex Turkmani, and this is The Exchange Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to Season 2, Episode 3. I'm very excited to be with you, very excited to be talking about this topic. Um, we're going to get started just by giving a very general definition of the Bible that I think everybody can agree with. Uh, when we are talking about the Bible... By everybody, you mean... Everybody. In the whole world? We'll, we'll find out. Okay. Don't question before you hear, Daniel. Got it. <laughs> so generally speaking, the Bible is broken down into two testaments. I think that's agreed by with everybody. Uh, the Old Testament... Unless you're wrong. And the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament would be the writings of the Jewish nation, broken down into a couple of different categories, uh, one that we won't really get into at this point, tracing the history of Israel and, and God's work with Israel. The New Testament, which is a little bit more uh, debated, uh, but is generally broken down to into telling the story of Jesus and then of Jesus' followers after that. Um, some of the books are uh, generally accepted and some are not, and some are excluded, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. These are... Uh, what is commonly referred to as the books that make up the Bible. Anything to add or or, or to qualify in those in those statements? Uh, I think it's fair to say, again, and I'm, I'm not trying to be annoying, but it, we're talking about the Protestant Bible, I think, correct? Not, no, not just including, the Catholic Bible. I was Bible. including the Catholic Bible in that. Okay. Well, there are a couple books in the Catholic Bible that aren't in the Protestant Bible. Sure. Yeah. That's why I wanted to make the, uh, yeah, the difference. I, I was. I think my definitions include uh, make make room for that. Yeah, I think I would add to that that um, the by the way the Bible presents itself is a covenantal document between God the Creator and man the creature. That there is a there is a presupposition to the Bible that uh, that God exists and that is, as First Timothy says, He is immortal, invisible. He dwells in unapproachable light that we can't approach him. And so if we're to learn anything about God, it can't come from us. We can't uh, figure it out on our own. That If God exists, he would have to reveal himself. Uh, and the Bible would say that he does so through through this covenantal document um, that called the Bible that uh, ultimately has the goal of uh, us, us and God becoming friends, uh, like Abraham was with God, or uh, John 17, this is eternal life, that, that 
they would know me is what God says. That's that's the goal of this document that he's given to us. Okay. Yeah, good thoughts. I think you might be departing from what everybody would agree with in saying those things. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I think that I would be. Yeah, but I think that... Um, Which is fine. I, yeah. I, I want to make provision now for, for other thoughts. Yeah, too. I think that different people would, would disagree with that. But I would say that in order to come to the Bible... In order to define the Bible, you need to define the Bible according to its own terms. You sure. can't make up your own terms when defining the Bible. Yeah. Um, and so part of that would be saying, how does the Bible present itself? And I think that's how it does. That, 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 to be fair, that is a hermeneutical choice. Of course it is. As yeah. well. So there's almost like a motivation behind what you're saying. So you could say, well, the Bible needs to define itself in its own terms. But that's, that's what you're expecting is the right way to approach the Bible in the first place. So when you say in its own terms, that's up to debate. Yeah, we can talk about circular arguments and basal assumptions and stuff like that <laughs> if you want to. I mean, that's that's another rabbit trail if we want to do that. Uh, and I think that that fits very well within the biblical worldview. I would like to do that. We can do that if you want, or we can say that for season three if we want to have an episode on epistemology. That would be great. Uh, or we can talk about it now. Uh, whatever you guys want, we can talk about epistemology now if you want to. That's that's huge for the Bible. I think the I think where, where we can probably mediate is the Bible does reveal itself to be the Word of God. Now, the question is 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 it right? It does say that. The question is is did God say that or did the author, the human author, say that? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean the the, the Greek does say that this is God's word. Like it does. In- and the English too. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and my guess is the Spanish, but Daniel would have to confirm that. But thank you for bringing up the Greek. I appreciate that, Alex. I think that in, in any, any system of knowledge, there's going to be some form of circularity. The question is, is it a vicious or virtuous circular argument? So I'll explain what I mean by that. So for for someone who says, well, I think that logic uh, is my is the foundation of my epistemology. Well, how do you know that? Well, because it's logical. <laughs> or if I'm a am I, if I'm an empiricist, well, I know that I, I'm an empiricist because my my senses tend to not lie to me <laughs> from what I can tell, and that's my that's my assumption. Let's make sure to define terms when we use that's terms good, like man. empiricist for yeah. So an empiricist is someone who is going to trust their senses to not lie to them <laughs> as they're interpreting the world. That what they see is what actually exists. It's an assumption that's being made based upon past experiences, uh, an assumption that I think their their worldview has no foundation for. Um, but at the end of the day, you're going to be only appealing to your ultimate authority, no matter what that ultimate authority is. That's what makes it an ultimate authority. So for the Bible, um, you know, is it a circular argument to say the Bible is God's word because it says it's God's word? Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> um, and I would say I would say it's a circular argument for sure, but no less of a circular argument than anyone else anyone else's circular argument but i would but i would also say that it's it's not a it's not a vicious circular argument and that it simply appeals to itself it's a virtuous circle because it appeals to a, another source as well which is the holy spirit so the westminster confession would say that we have two sources of knowing that the bible is god's word the first is the objective reality that the bible says it's god's word the second is the subjective reality the holy spirit confirms that in the hearts of God's people as they read it. It's interesting later that you brought in the Holy Spirit, right? Because when because a lot of people ask that question and they're usually not Christian. 
um, and they want to know what is the Bible, would you t- would you tell that person this is what it is, but you won't believe it because you don't have quote unquote the Holy Spirit no, in you, I, I or you don't necessarily have... tell them that. I would tell them the Bible is God's revelation. That we need we need God to reveal in order to understand Him, and this is how He's done it. And as the and as and I think the Holy Spirit testifies to that truth and to the truthfulness of the Bible as they read it. Any other thoughts? <laughs> so I'll, I'll I'll push back a little bit. So you would then be comfortable relying not on evidential arguments for the supernatural nature of the Bible, as in it's been preserved for all these years. You know, we had almost almost unanimous agreement in in the first couple centuries on what the Bible is. You would rather rest on those two arguments, one being an objective, basic argument, saying the Bible says it's God's word, and the other being that the Holy Spirit subjectively confirms it to me. You're comfortable resting in that. I think that those are my foundational assumptions and beliefs and experiences. I would say that other things confirm that, but they're not foundational and basic. So, for instance, what, what if, if I trust the Bible because it presents a, a history that's consistent with what I observe in ar- archaeology, um, well, then I've, I've undermined the idea that the Bible is my ultimate source of authority with my own senses. I've actually become an empiricist or a rationalist in that, and I've abandoned a, uh, a revelational epistemology. I've abandoned the idea that I only gain knowledge through God revealing to me first. Yeah. So I think that that's self-defeating, and it actually undermines the authority of the Bible to do yeah. that. So the one, the, the one who tries to choose the best religion has proved himself to not be religious at all. He's proved himself to be irrational. Yeah, I think that the Bible, the Bible's claim is to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So uh, seeing is not believing. Is essentially what you're saying, because you're denying the empiricist. And then you're saying that it's all faith. No, no. So what I would say is that the foundational the foundational belief is that the Bible is God's authoritative word. The Holy Spirit testifies to it. But then once I accept that, now that I am inside the Christian worldview, I understand that man is made in God's image, which means he can see and he can trust what he sees. He can hear and he can trust what he hears. He can speak and know that he's actually communicating because he's entered into a biblical worldview that has a foundation for all of those things. At the end of the day, this someone who's just trusting their senses blindly could be in the matrix and they have no clue because they don't have an actual worldview that supports um, other things that they believe to be happening. So the Bible, the Bible, though, when you enter into but, it, but those things are supported by story, by narrative. What do you mean? The Bible? Yeah. Or? So like saying that there's other things that you can see to know to be true besides the fact that your senses sense them. You're saying that. The Bible will show you that those things do exist. So, so I would say, you can relate to other people because the Bible shows it. That's narrative. That 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 you can find in other texts besides the Bible. So it goes right back to the authority of or the realness of it. So you have two you have two things kind of going on in the Bible. You have history and then you have theological history. History being telling you what happened. And then you have theological history telling you why it happened. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of debate as to whether whether it is actually history. So there's a lot of people who believe in the authority of the Bible, but not the the genre of the Bible. Okay, so here, here's, here's something that is history. Assyria sacking Israel and Babylon sacking Judah and carrying... That is yeah. confirmed in archaeology and in other writings as historical. In Daniel 1, you have... I, I, well, I think, I think the, main, the main disputed historical 
portion of the Bible is Genesis. Sure, and I, what what I would say in response to that, I think Alex is on the right track there. I think that at the end of the day, it is is the main is the main thing that happens in the Bible historical, which is the incarnation, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Can you define the incarnation? Yes, I just want to make yeah. sure we define no, that's terms good, as we man. go. So the incarnation is that the second person of the Godhead, the the Son, adds to himself a human nature. Um, and becomes man uh, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, is born, lives a human life um, that eternally joins himself to a human nature so that he exists as something who's totally God and totally man. Um, so if, if that is historical, <clears throat> which the Bible would portray it as historical, then um, working out from there, you have to. I think that you have to say that the rest of what the Bible claims to be historical would have to be historical also. That if if that can happen, if God can become man, and that man can resurrect from the dead, well, I mean, all of those other things seem far less fantastical and far fetched, and you begin believing them. Well, sure, but still doesn't mean that it did happen. So, I, if we're gonna, yeah, we can go down this track also. So, I would say that I'm I'm still referring to Genesis. That's fine because that's the one that's that's disputed the most. Yeah. Um. So, like what Dan, what Alex was saying earlier, that the Bible is both history and interpretation of history. That the, the Red Sea parted, and God gives the reason the Red Sea parted, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, Exodus 14. Um, so and, that, and that he did it. Yeah, that exactly. God did it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we wouldn't know the interpretation of the spiritual event if God didn't give it. Uh, and that's something that's special, special about the Bible, that it, that it does that. As far as Genesis, you mean like the creation of the world? Is that historical? Because I've struggled a lot with believing that the Bible is anything but stories that are meant to point to something bigger than themselves. Um, and I think that, that we we say that it's history, but really we systematize our understanding of theology in our Protestant post-Reformation world. And it's almost like we say, well, we're letting the Bible speak for itself, but in a sense, not really. We don't read it like a first century Jew would have read the Old Testament. And, you know, the rebuttal will be, well, Christ hadn't done his work, it wasn't, you know, published, blah, 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 blah. But even later first century Christians didn't have a so-called Bible. They may have had a couple letters, they may have had the Jewish scriptures around, um, but they didn't have this idea of a uh, uh, handbook for life or something like that will that will tell you who god is um specifically it it was more understood as like this is a story and the point is not that the story was real the point is that this shows you who god is and how he interacts with people well they certainly have the subject yeah i'm thinking of the when i say the bible i don't just mean the old testament i'm talking genesis to revelation the whole book uh, the the Old Testament collected in writings. Yeah, the, the Old Testament was canonized by the time the New Testament was written. It was it was set. Yeah, but that that wasn't my point though. When I'm saying the Bible, I'm saying the Old and the New Testament in sure. the complete version. So the question is, when did the New Testament become? Because fixed? because the way that you read Genesis now is backfiltered. So I would say through Christ claiming to be the center of that story as well. Now you're reading it completely differently. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think that what you have to do is you have to approach you have to approach the Bible the way the Bible is intended to be approached. That if you bring to the Bible a reading that's not, um, I think this is something that Daniel was par- at least partially advocating. That if you bring to the Bible something that is not found in the Bible, a set of assumptions that the Bible doesn't provide, then you're going to get the wrong conclusion. So uh, sometimes that comes about by people not reading it like a first century Jew would, or like 
um, someone who was at the event of the Exodus or someone who would have understood literary or poetry that uh, Moses was employing when he wrote certain things in Genesis. Uh, So you have to read it through that cultural lens. But at the same time, you have to understand that um, the Bible is true in everything that it, it affirms. Um, otherwise it would fail to be a document from the God who could not lie. And you have to also understand that uh, what it does affirm is something that's significant and um, out- outrageous, really, unless you don't believe it, that there are, there are miracles that existed in history. And the fact that they existed in history is what gives significance to them. That miracles without history is absolutely meaningless is the Bible's assumption. And then I think it's true the other way around also that history without miracles is a history that is meaningless as well because God is not interacting with his humanities. Yeah, and I think you raise a valid question with us saying, you know, we're not first century Jews or we're not. But I think I'm comfortable with interpreting the Bible and viewing the Bible the way that the authors of the Bible interpreted it. I think that's where I'd I'd like to sit. And then I think you can argue, how did they interpret it? How did Jesus look at the Old Testament? How how did he he see it? I mean, if you you take that to its extreme, uh, there was a a professor in college that we all had who asked a really good question. And he said, Paul pulls out an Old Testament text and he puts it in front of you, or Luke does. And... He says, because remember, it says here this, so this. It seems as if he's just manipulating that text to support what he's saying. But when you read that text as, as of when it was written and what it was meant to communicate, completely different. In a sense, it's almost like it's morphed or it's been manipulated. But it has to be one or the other. So you're talking about like Old Testament or quotations of the Old Testament in the New Testament. And how yes. And then up. so if, if so, if what you're saying is we have to go to the Bible and see how how they interpret it in the New Testament, how they understood it and that that's the way it is. It to me, it seems like a manipulation of the Old Testament. I, I think it would be helpful if we to get into that kind of a conversation. And maybe it's a different episode. We'd probably have to go to the actual. Yeah, I'd be that's happy a good point. That. That's fair point. We could save that until next time if you wanted to, or and just keep talking about that's the assumptions point. the Bible makes. Let's just keep talking about something else then. I think Paul has a reason. Yeah, I think so. For doing too. certain things, a lot of that I think is going to come from your presuppositions, which we're already talking about. Is the Bible God's word, or is it simply man's wisdom that um, it, it's just a collection of really uh, helpful things that people have, things that have found help people things that people have found helpful through the centuries? Yeah, and I think it's clear from the writings of Christ. Uh, not not that he wrote anything, but but the things that were written about him, uh, that he revered the Old Testament and saw it as uh, the Word of God. And well, I had a conversation recently with uh, with someone, and they asked me what I thought marriage was. And I think five years ago, I would have said, "Well, marriage is this and this and this because the Bible says this and this and this and this." But now, the way I answered that question recently was, "Well, if you look at Genesis." It was that a man needed to populate the earth, and so he slept with his wife, and then they had children, and then those children repopulated over and over and over again. There wasn't a ceremony that we know of. There wasn't a ring. There wasn't a party or a feast. That came later as human structures and cultures began to develop. So marriage, even at some points in the Bible, was about property. Your husband owned you. You you weren't you weren't an equal part. You weren't part of a household, quote-unquote, as you like to understand it, you were property of the man 
who paid a dowry for you. Five years ago, I would have said, well, the Bible says this. Today, I say, well, here's the values that I think lead to a good marriage and a good life. And the Bible may speak of some of those values, but I, I wouldn't rest on the Bible to answer that question. So when the Bible's speaking into all of life, I, I struggle to, to agree with that. So I think the problem that you would have to face at that point is how how do you define things such as marriage or any other area of life? And I think the Bible seeks the Bible presents a worldview that's consistent within itself that abandoning a holistic worldview such as the Bible only leaves you in frustration and um, ultimately a, a nihilistic worldview, I think. And so I mean leading things to their logical ends. I'm not throwing out the Bible with the you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. I'm just saying it to me, it doesn't make sense to say, oh, well, the Bible says this is marriage. And you're like, no, it covers a lot of different years of human development and culture. And it marriage looks very different depending on what part of the Bible you want to jump into. So this idea of of Christ laying down his life for, for the church is how you should treat your wife. That's not necessarily the way that it was for a very long time. And today, the way that we define that is even different from the way they would have defined it 2,000 years ago. I feel really uncomfortable saying the Bible says this, this, I should do. And I'm like, no, we're actually adding things from our own culture and our own values as a people group that aren't necessarily in the text. We're just interpreting them to mean that because of who we are as a people. You're mixing up a little bit of like prescriptive and descriptive. So just because... After the fall, wives were treated like property. I don't think that's what I don't think that's the inherent way that God created marriage to be. But would not would not have God spoken to that though? That's what I don't understand. God gives he expectations. He did. He did. What? In Ephesians five. Yeah, four thousand years later. Yeah. I think it was much longer than that, but we'll go with a conservative estimate. But here. Paul's resting on that. So for four thousand years people just didn't understand that they were doing marriage poorly. That man and women were created in God's image. I think they understood that. No, yeah. I think that if you read Genesis one, that man and woman are equally created in God's image. And they're both told to populate the earth. And they're both told to cultivate the garden and to expand the borders of the garden. That's not something that's that uh, God gives soul, a job soul, God gives solely to Adam. It's a, God, it's a job that God gives both of them to give. I, th- I think you see um, Genesis condemn those things in the description of Cain's son, who took more than one wife. Yeah, that's good. And, and heightened uh, the murder and, and the violence. Sure, that's a biops. But then you have later... Other people taking more wives, and it's not a big deal. But that no, not necessarily. But you have to interpret it in that lens. Like you, you get that. So, so I think I think the Bible, especially Genesis, uh, I should say, just narrative, uh, requires us to make founded assumptions. The fact that marriage doesn't look the same as it did in Genesis, I think we have to understand that the essential elements that are laid out for us in Genesis are still the same or still should be the same in my in, in my view. And if and if you look at it like this that in Genesis if you look at Genesis 1 and 2 as a as a checkpoint where God sets up an ideal for marriage, one man and one woman, then then in Exodus 20 you have the 10 commandments that God gives. And what God says, he uses some very specific language when he says do not covet. He lists different things and he says do not covet your neighbor's wife. And he says it in the singular, not the plural. He doesn't say don't cover, covet your neighbor's wives, but your neighbor's I feel like that's, wife. I feel like that's pulling at straws. I don't think I don't think it is because okay. I think that, and, and I think that also if you said that if you it's a polygamist culture that man, I, I wasn't that afraid that wrote, it was a polygamist culture, 
I was just saying that there are cases where polygamy isn't condemned, but I, I was really talking about the way that we define things today and saying that, well, the Bible tells me so doesn't make sense, right. especially when you have so many different cultures that were developed over so many different years explaining it in different ways. And what I'm saying is that the Bible sets up from God's perspective specific specific definitions even where it does and specific parameters even where it doesn't give give exact commands if that makes sense. That's fair. Yeah. I mean I I don't I don't agree with it. Like that doesn't make sense to me, but it's it's a fair point. I think if we I think if we take that perspective pulling our uh ethic from any of the stories of the Bible if that's what this view is doing, then eventually I think people would start taking parenting advice from Lot. <laughs> yeah. Which is an absurd argument right. that no one is making. But I, th- I think that that's the, beauty, that's the beauty of the Ten Commandments, is it's God actually telling us, like, here's ten things that are really, that I know that are, that are wrong, and that I want you to know that are wrong. That's, that's what I love about the Ten Commandments. You just don't get a lot of that other places because other places is just situational hey go into that village kill all the men children and animals not wrong why would you kill that person why would you kill their children that's wrong so it's so confusing that when i come to the ten commandments i'm like oh finally like okay thank you so that's wrong great murdering is wrong now i know that thank you lying is wrong now i know that thank you i think that's why people feel so comfortable with that and not so much of the rest of the Bible, because it's so conditional to whatever is going on. In but that. you're asking you're asking him to do an impossible task, which would be to tell us everything we can't do, instead of telling us everything we can do. I think you're also asking the wrong question of the Bible. That back to your original point, uh, we need to read it through the lens of those those original readers. That they would not have been coming to the Bible expecting like, okay, can I do this or not? That's I'm not, not the saying that the asking. Bible needs they to would be, be a rule book. That what I'm what I'm saying is that it makes more sense to instead of saying this is history, it's better to say this is a story of God and people, and this is what you can glean from it. Um, but I don't think it makes sense to say because this is history. Here are the principles that you can attribute to certain topics today. Yeah, and I'm not. I don't think that many people would. I have two thoughts about that. The first is I don't think that many people would say that narrative is especially intended and, and solely intended to give moral direction. So I don't know if anybody... Uh, Not just moral today, direction, but, I mean, stories move us. They call to action. Of course, they yeah, they do. provoke emotion. I'm not just saying that either. I'm sorry if that's what's no, coming right. across, but I think that the the bigger picture is not a moral one. It's it's a redemptive one. It's that God's doing an act in history that we can be invited to become up to be a part of. So that's the first thing I want to say. And the second thing is that a lot of the actual actions in the Bible, if there is no history behind them, make absolutely no sense. So I'll just give you one example: Moses at the burning bush. There's an experience that Moses has with God, and if that is not historical in nature, um, if it's simply a, it just some way that some guy in the desert decided to describe a very emotionally heightened experience uh, that he felt like was from God, it was as if God were talking to me from a burning bush. Well, then it doesn't make sense of the rest of the narrative that 
that a heightened emotional experience caused him to face down Pharaoh and lead people out of Egypt. A whole nation was birthed out of that. A nation that we know from history has existed. Um, well, now, but now you're bringing now you're bringing logic and being sensical and <laughs> in, in, into an approach that you said was by faith and not logic. No, 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 no. I'm not saying no, no, no. Right, I'm not saying. So I would say a couple things to that also. That one that I'm I'm interpreting the Bible consistent within itself. So I think the Bible demands that we read it that way as as history and interpretation of history. And two, I would say that the Bible present, gives a worldview that allows for logic to exist because Jesus is the logos from God. Um, in him, we live and move and have our being. That it, 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 uh, it, it, it Colossians 2, that in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That because I exist within the biblical worldview, I can use logic to figure things out. It's not that I'm just blind faith. It's that I have a faith that enables me to make logical distinctions and choices that abandoning it, because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ, abandoning it leaves me without logic, leaves me without knowledge, leaves me without um, an ability to sense and experience things and make sense of them. But I think what essentially Josh's and I's perspective on it is we are comfortable in interpreting the Bible the way that it's written and the way that the authors of the Bible um, personally, and we would include Jesus in this, personally view the Bible itself. So then, what you're what you're saying, if I can if I can sum it up, is that it, it wasn't intended to be that way. It was the the writings were not intended to be. I don't want to say authoritative, but they weren't. They weren't. They we are presupposing their authority back into them when when the writers of the of the Bible would not have to been. be fair. I do believe that the Bible are are historic. That there are books of the Bible that are historical writings. Sure, I'm not saying that. So how do you know if it's historical or not? If it says in the year of, that's a good indicator. Um, but the things that the, are the things that are ah historical, correct? Like Bible, what are those things? The Bible knows that they're not historical. The Bible's not blind to them. The biblical authors aren't blind to them. Are you simply saying that you're questioning the historicity of Genesis, and that's really it? That might be it. Maybe that's fine. Well, I think we could probably do an app on just that. Yeah, I think yeah, in a future yeah. episode. But that'd be a lot of fun. I just, I, I think a lot of, I think. Here's my last two cents, and then and then I'll I'll get off. But I think people would get a lot more from the Bible if they read it like as I believe that it was intended to be a story, than um, than a prescription bottle. We're on the same page there. I, I know we're on the same 100%. page, but we apply it completely. That's fine, man. That's so fine. at least maybe that's where we, we can have agree. some common ground here. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> we did it after forty minutes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our conversation on the Exchange Podcast. We work hard to make each one of these episodes engaging and thought-provoking. And now it's your turn. Do you have any thoughts about today's episode? We'd love for you to join the Exchange online by following us on Facebook and Twitter. Links are in the show description. And while you're at it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. One more thing, we've received all of our music for season two from hooksounds.com. There are some great tracks and artists available on that site. If you're looking for music for an upcoming project, we highly recommend you go with them. Thanks again for listening, and from all of us here at The Exchange Podcast, I'd like to wish you a good night 
and good luck.